Good morning, everyone. So I wanted to share with you this article I found many years ago. Um, in 2005, uh, an article came out in the British publication, The Guardian. And uh, the article is by Roy Hattersley. Roy Hattersley used to be in the prime minister's cabinet in the UK. He was deputy leader of the Labour Party. And also, as you're about to hear in the article, an atheist. And he wrote this article after Hurricane Katrina talking about... Um, well, actually, he was criticizing his fellow atheists for not participating more in relief efforts. And I found what he says about faith from an atheist perspective very interesting in this article. And I wanted to share a pretty good chunk of it with you this morning. Um, so here's Roy Hattersley in 2005. He said, Hurricane Katrina did not stay on the front pages very long. Yesterday's Red Cross appeal for an extra 40,000 volunteer workers was virtually ignored. The disaster will return to the headlines when one sort of newspaper reports a particularly gruesome discovery or another finds additional evidence of uh, the American president at the time's negligence. Uh, but month after month of unremitting suffering is not news, nor is the monotonous performance of the unpleasant tasks that relieve the pain and anguish of the old, the sick, the homeless, the task in which the Salvation Army specialize. The Salvation Army has been given a special status as provider-in-chief of the American Disaster Relief, but its work is being augmented by all sorts of other groups. Almost all of them have a religious origin and character. Notable by their absence are teams of rationalist societies, free thinkers clubs, and atheist associations. The sort of people who not only scoff at religion's intellectual absurdity, but also regard it as a positive force for evil. The arguments against religion are well-known and persuasive. And then being an atheist, he gives some of the arguments that he finds persuasive against faith. But then he goes on to say, yet men and women who believe are the most likely to take the risks and make the sacrifices involved in helping others. Last week, late at night on the streets of one of our great cities, a middle-ranking officer of the Salvation Army who gave up a well-paid job to devote his life to the poor offers friendship as well as help to the most degraded human beings who exist just outside the boundaries of our society. He does what he believes to be his Christian duty without the slightest suggestion of disapproval. Yet for much of his time, he is meeting needs that result from conduct he regards as intrinsically wicked. He says, civilized people do not believe that drug addiction and male prostitution offend God. But those who do are the men and women most willing to change the fetid bandages, replace the sodden sleeping bags, and probably most difficult of all, argue without a trace of impatience that the time has come for some serious medical attention. Good works, John Wesley insisted, are no guarantee of a place in heaven, but they are most likely to be performed by people who believe that heaven exists. It ought to be possible to live a Christian life without being a Christian. Yet men and women who, like me, cannot accept the mysteries and the miracles do not go out with the Salvation Army at night. The only possible conclusion is that faith comes with a packet of moral imperatives that, while they do not condition the attitude of all believers, influence enough of them to make them morally superior to atheists like me. 
The truth may make us free, but it has not made us as admirable as the average captain in the Salvation Army. Pretty powerful words pointed at oneself. I have to respect that. He's trying to find the answer to this question. Why don't more people who believe like him that there is no God participate more in works to relieve suffering in the world? The answer he's searching for but cannot find is that there is no other name in the universe by which we are saved than the name of Jesus Christ. It teaches us this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. Many great people call for acts of charity in the world uh, throughout history and today, and it's a good call. But only Jesus offers heaven to us. Only Jesus came to save us. Only Jesus went to the cross for us. Only Jesus reveals God to us. And so when Jesus calls for these acts, we just pay a lot more attention. When Jesus speaks, we listen because he's done so much for us. One of the things we find Jesus saying is, don't take the light of this love of God and hide it under a basket. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I mean, isn't that what just happened in the article? Well, this guy goes out for one night and gets this, this, this powerful man, this intellectual man, and he gets as close to praising God as I think you could ask an atheist to go after just one night. It was those works that were being done. I believe if this man saw those kind of works going on in the world all around him all the time, he would eventually be able to take the miracles and the mysteries of God more seriously. That's the power Jesus said these things have, and that's why he calls, it, calls us to it. Um, he said those who believe in heaven are more apt to do these sorts of things. Um, that, the answer to why that is comes from Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus starts out painting a picture of, of heaven. Uh, verse 31 says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. So there's the picture of heaven, but here's why people who believe in that picture do these sorts of things because it was right after that that Jesus said, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And that makes us all respond. We say, if you went to the cross for me and you opened eternal life up to me, and then you say that, that serving other people is serving you, then I'll do that. I will do that. That's the power of it. 
Now, I want to say that the very next verse, the very next verse says that he then turns to those on his left and says, you did not do all these things. And so depart into the lake of eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So this is where we could get into trouble. Because we're going to be talking about, you know, giving money for charitable causes in church, right? And it's a very short walk to say, if you don't participate in the financial challenge, you're going to a lake of eternal fire, which would be the worst form of manipulation that we could do. So I never want to be the preacher who takes the words of Jesus, reads them for a little bit, and then when he says something hard, just puts the book down and doesn't read that. It's not for me to decide what Jesus said and didn't say or what's worth hearing or what's worth not hearing. That's not, that's not what I'm here for. On the other hand, I don't want to use it as some sort of weapon. So let's stop for a second and be very clear. Jesus said, those who follow me and serve me do these sorts of things. And I am very proud that the financial challenges we do here in church so often line up and resemble so closely the types of things Jesus tells us to do. I'm really uh, proud of that. That is part of the reason my family has participated every single time. We feel like what Jesus asks us to do, it kind of represents that very well. However, there are other ways to do that. There are other ways to answer the call of God. If you decide a financial challenge is not the way and you're a follower of Jesus, you just have to seek out the other ways to answer those exact same things. Is that, is that clear enough? Because these are the words of Jesus and these are the words that are going to get us talking for the next month especially. These words are going to have you talking to your friends over coffee. They'll have your small group be talking. You'll be talking to people on the phone. Those of you who are married, you'll be talking with your spouse as you're falling asleep at night. Well, what do you think about that? And driving around town. Well, what are we going to do? This is the ones that will have us look at our spending for the next three years, the plans that we had. Um, because... For the next three years, we feel like God is calling us as a church to raise over a million dollars. And that's a million dollars outside of our normal tithes and offerings to raise another million dollars for ministry here in the church and to our community and all around the world. Now, why would we want to do something like that? Why would we want to do something like that? That's what we're here to talk about this morning. Um, so half the money we raise will be for the ministry right here in the church. Half the money we raise will do things like pay the mortgage on this building facility for another three years. It will finish the uh, redo of the lobby. You see us kind of starting out there to redo the lobby. All those tiles and colors, that's like 2005 called and they want their color scheme back. So we're just, I mean, it's been wonderful 20 years ago. And so we're just not sure when you invite new people that having something that, that's that dated is the most welcoming thing that you can do. Um, and so we want to do that. And we also have a water problem. All the water from our roof doesn't go into the city storm drains. It just goes underneath this building and causes some problems there. So, so half of the money we raise will be for the ministry that we're doing here. Now, why would we do that? Because this is the place where the story of Jesus gets told. This is the place where the people, like Mr. Hattersley is writing about, um, begin a spiritual journey. 
Um, For our children and grandchildren, this is the place where the story of Jesus gets told. This is the place that fights against the, the kind of the cultural push that tells kids, you should be more like Mr. Hattersley and less like Jesus. So they come here and we say, no, you should be more like Jesus and less like Mr. Hattersley. In fact, today, Mr. Hattersley is not too pleased with himself. So this is the place where the story of Jesus gets told. Let me just tell you some of the stuff I've seen in the last month that have really inspired me. Um, A few weeks ago, I was up in our campfire room for, that's our ministry for kindergarten through fourth grade. And there was a guy and he was giving up, you know, this worship service and so forth to, to teach our kids about Jesus. And he's in his 60s and he's got nine fourth graders. And it's time for them to talk about their highs and lows for the week and, and memorize their scripture. And he says, well, do we want to go sit on the floor here in a little circle and do that? And all the kids go, no. And he says, all right, well, what are we going to do? And they go, we want to go under the table. They have this giant round table they sit at. And they like to like have Jesus fort like under the table. So this guy in his 60s goes, all right, let's go. And he gets down on his stomach and he's just face to face with all the little squirmy kids. And he's saying, what's the best thing that happened to you this week? And what's the worst thing that happened to you this week? And he listens and then he says, let's, let's learn the words of Proverbs, that knowledge and understanding comes from the Lord. And I really pray that at the end of that hour, he was able to get up off the floor without help. <laughs> but um, but that's, that's what people are doing here. That's what people are doing here. Um, I saw some parents getting together for lunch because they're greatly disturbed. Their, their nine-year-olds are coming home from school, um, having been shown some, some photographs by other children on the playground that you don't want your nine-year-old to see and asking questions that you don't want your nine-year-old asking. And, uh, but they are, they are. That's the culture we live in. We're gonna do this at nine years old. And so we have to band together and start telling our kids earlier and earlier the story of Jesus and how he sees us and what he made us for and what our bodies are and what love is and all of that. We've gotta do that. That's, that's things that are happening. Um, I talked to a man, I don't want to commit him, but he's, he's thinking about maybe starting a group for men who are going through the horror of divorce. Because he's went through a horrible divorce. But now, many years later, he's found new love and it is exciting and it's wonderful and he just wants to share what Jesus can do. He wants to share what Jesus can do. These are the sorts of things that happen when you build a church and you open the doors and you say, let's come in and let's hear God's call on our life. And that's why we would want to do something like this. Now, the other half of the money that we're raising uh, answers Jesus' call in some other ways. For instance, we want to provide beans and rice and eggs, you know, one good meal a day to dozens of families in Walrez, Mexico. Because Jesus said, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. Um, Right now this morning, there are people who, uh, you know, their country is just is torn apart by war. And um, my, my son and I were talking about the, the, the Ukrainian war. I said, son, can you imagine if you thought you were going to graduate from high school this year? And instead, <laughs> and instead you're living in a tent in the winter, drinking out of a barrel and fighting other kids for food. We want to uh, relieve that suffering. For those who can never go home because they're targeted and persecuted, we want to help them 
resettle for those who are assigned here to our city. We want that to go well for them, um, as, as many of our ancestors fled something one time. Um, we also are answering the call of Jesus. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. Um, we want to raise some money for at least some social services. It, uh, it uh, is a wonderful organization here with a uh, clothing store and food pantry and all sorts of things. Started by a pastor decades ago here in Lee Summit. It doesn't just give people stuff. Like if they're willing, it, they'll assign them an advocate and help them get on a new path to a new life. And we want to do that because Jesus said, I was naked and you gave me clothing. And we want to build um, on to the maternity waiting home that we built last time. We want to build on to that a medical clinic um, in a country uh, called Liberia in Western Africa where it is normal. It is normal for teenage girls to go out into the woods and have a baby by themselves. And, and all of, if they survive that, all, all of the injuries that result from an unattended birth. We want to provide a medical clinic where you can be in the maternity waiting home till your due date comes and then uh, receive care. Um, because Jesus said, I was sick and you cared for me. Jesus said, I was in prison and you visited me. That's why we have always supported the persecuted underground house church in China. Persecution is so hot now that you cannot gather two people together that the police don't find out and arrest you. So that's how serious the persecution is now. They're now able to detect just two people getting together to discuss the Bible. So there, there is a Chinese pastor and he is um, receiving some formal education and ministry for preparation for the day. And, and this will happen when God opens China again because those are his children and the story of Jesus can be told. I mean, when you clamp down on people that hard, you must be at the end of your time. Let us pray, amen. And so um, we wanna help him get that experience so when it opens, here is a, here is a minister prepared and ready to, to minister because the need is going to be tremendous. So um, we also want to uh, build a community center in the mountains of Harmons, Jamaica. Uh, last time we built the church, the church is open, the church is growing. It's you know, the story of Jesus being told, amen. So they want a community center and also maybe some medical stuff there too because you know, someone in that village just passed away this last year of, of a condition that just required simple antibiotics. So we want to help to improve that life there in the mountains of Jamaica. We also want to give some to our inner city partner, the Hope Center, which helps our uh, young brothers and sisters growing up in the inner city to stay in school, have strong families, become leaders in the church. Why would we do all this stuff? Because Jesus said, my good news is meant for the whole world and it's got to go everywhere. My good news has got to go everywhere. In fact, one of his last words to the disciples were... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So these words of, um, of these, doing these types of things that Jesus tells us to do, they bring glory to God. Others will praise God when they see these things happening in their midst. And there are active obedience and gratitude. I mean, Jesus gave his all for us on the cross. We ask him, what would you have me do for you, Lord? He says, serve others. That's serving me. So we do that. It's our reminder that we are his agents on his mission. The way God works is through people, which 
doesn't always seem like the smartest plan to me, but he's God, so I'll do it. If he thinks that's the way he wants to do it, um, amen, we'll do it. Uh, also, it is, when you do the financial part of it, it reminds us that we don't provide for ourselves. You know, God provides for us. We, we do what he asks us to do, and he takes care of us. That's always been his promise. You do what I ask you to do, and I'll take care of you. We said that last week, and we said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Don't worry about that. So it reminds us of that truth again. So for the next 30 days, we're kind of going on this journey together, and we're asking everybody here to just do three things. First thing, uh, come to church every Sunday. And if you, if you can't make a Sunday, uh, catch up on the live stream. And we're doing an experiment today where this live stream will appear immediately when this service is over on YouTube. So look for that. And, uh, you know, everybody back in the tech booth is crossing our fingers that the computer's doing what it's supposed to be doing right now. It's looking good so far. All right, so we'll find out at 1031, won't we? <laughs> but... Uh, so if you can't make it like some of you are right now watching online, keep doing that during February. This is where we're going to find out why it's so important to listen for this call from God. So that's one thing. Come to church for the next 30 days for sure. Um, next thing, everyone has now been invited to a vision dinner. So the vision dinner is fun. Um, there's some great entertainment there put on by fellow Lakelanders. It's good food. It's also a place where you get the details. Like I rattled off a bunch of stuff, but right now you've got questions. You want to know how much money. You want to know who and when. The vision dinner is when you get all that information down. So come to a vision dinner. If you have not been invited to a vision dinner, that was a mistake. Your envelope blew off the truck or something. So you'll want to see me or see Chris Lee, our, our financial challenge director. He's on vacation today, but he'll be in tomorrow. Because if you weren't invited, that was an error. You should be invited and we want you to come to one of those. So, uh, uh, and, and you two online. So um, yeah, come to church for the next 30 days. Come to the vision dinner that you're invited to. And then pray. We're asking everyone to pray. So there'll be a day of prayer. Come to that, please, and, and lift that up before the Lord. We're going to be sending out prayers throughout the next month just to stop for a moment and lift up these different ministries and our own hearts to God. So uh, pray. Pray and be asking God, is this your call? Is this how you want my family to address these things? Or is, is there something else? Um, if you do those three things, if you, if you come to church so we know the importance of it, if you come to your vision dinner so you know what the plan is, and you lift it up before God, then you've, you've done it right, no matter what you decide at the end of it. If you do those three things, you did it right. You did what was asked of you. So that's what we're asking of everyone. Yeah, are, we, are we good to maybe try those three things all together? Thanks. Amen. So right now, I don't think it'll be a great number of people, but there might be someone here who just kind of what you heard today might have you in a place where you would be ready to follow Jesus. I mean, you probably have heard before that Jesus went to the cross. You probably heard before that he, he makes eternal life and forgiveness possible. You probably heard before about the kingdom of heaven. But what may have been bugging you all these years is just how horrible the world can be sometimes. But this morning hearing that God cares about those things and what he calls his followers to do is to join with him and do what they can right there around them, that may have you in a place where you are ready to say, I could follow a God like that. I could follow a God like that. So for me and probably for the majority of people here in the room, um, 
following God kind of began with a prayer. It's not like a memorized prayer, but it's a prayer that kind of has these features. Uh, One is to say, you know, I have sinned. Now, that sounds like a heavy word, but it really just means um, I've not done the types of things, God, you would have had me do in this world. I've not made you first. I've ignored you. I have done things that harmed other people. I have done things that hurt myself. So I see that. But Lord, I see now with Jesus on the cross that you want to forgive all that. You want to take all of that away. That you have, if there's a price to be paid, you've paid it. If we were worried that you were mad at us, you're saying that I am willing to die for you to bring you to me. I love you so much. So I want to receive that. I want to receive that. And Lord, I hear that you will send your Holy Spirit to live inside me and guide me into a new way of living. And frankly, I'm ready for a new way of living because my way hasn't gotten me where I wanted to be. I am tired of the confusion of not knowing if I'm doing it right. I'm tired of the anxiety of wondering if I'm doing it wrong. Lord, if you'll send your spirit to guide me day by day, I'm ready to receive that. I'm ready for a new life. So if you kind of get those three things in there, then that begins your spiritual journey as a follower of Jesus. So we're going to pray that together right here. And you don't have to say it out loud with me, but if you're just listening and agreeing that like that's where your heart is, then that is your prayer. If you're not ready right now to do that, do listen. Do listen to the words. Because I didn't pray it in church either. I I like learned it in church. But it wasn't until a few weeks later, just laying in my bed one night, that it all kind of came together for me. So it can happen anywhere. So whether you're praying now or learning it now, that's all fine. But, uh, but it'll, it would be like this. Let's pray together. Um, Father, I, I haven't made you first. I haven't done these things that you say those who are with you will do. Um, Lord, I've, I've hurt other people. And I've, I've hurt myself, Lord, in ways that I know you didn't want me to. And I, I you know, I guess that is sin. But I am so relieved, Lord, to see that you sent Jesus to guide me to you. And you sent Jesus to make forgiveness possible. And you settled all accounts on the cross. There's no, there's no penalties. There's no penances. There's no nothing more that has to be done. He took care of all that. And, and Lord, that you would do that for me is just astounding. And if you're offering to send your Holy Spirit to live inside my heart, to guide me in how to do this new life, because frankly, I don't have a clue. I don't know how. I will receive that. I'm ready for a new life. I'm ready for a different way of living. I'm ready for a different set of values. So I I want all of that. Uh, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And it is in his name that I pray. Amen.